Hey everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of Happiness in Humans. I'm your host, Matt Phelan. I'm co-founder of a business called The Happiness Index, and I'm here with the amazing Anne Parkinson, who has just been singing. How are you, Anne? I'm fine, thank you. If we were um, at the bookies, what odds would you give us on uh, you losing your voice in the next 20 minutes? Um, well, if I remember to breathe properly, and, and hopefully I do, it would be 60-40. Okay, we've got a good chance. I'll take those odds. I'll take those odds. <laughs> and um, please, in, please introduce yourself to our guests. Hi, everyone. I'm Anne Parkinson. Um, what, what can I tell you about myself? I'm, um, I've been researching in the whole area of friendship and happiness and engagement and all those sorts of things for the last, gosh, probably about 10 years. So um, what I've been doing mostly has been working in a business school, but and of course, I've taken on lots of roles like teaching and stuff, which has not given me much time to do research. So having actually sort of retired, I've retired from being paid. I'm being able to concentrate on my research, which is great because that's what I really wanted to do for a long time. I have a background in working in organisations. I was I'm an ex-teacher. I'm an ex-potter. So I've had lots of different careers in my lifetime, including consultancy and things, too. And when I was I've just you've just reminded me, actually, that, that I had to write something for my old girls reunion as we were coming up to reunion, about what I did. And I realised that every job I've had has been around developing people, wow. one way or another, from whatever age. And actually, I'm finding myself as a school governor in a primary school doing it again. Yeah. So that's, you know, that's sort of what's made me tick from managing change in a large, well, largest PLC at the time, to just working with people on coaching. What, what PLC was it, Anne, at the time? Oh, it was BT. BT, yeah. When I was there, it employed 250,000 people. Yeah, not a small business then. <laughs> not a small business at the time. Much smaller now. Um, Anne, well, just before we get into the questions, you, you mentioned that it's the research that you like, the fact that you've got time for now. Yeah. Um, what, what, why, what is it about the research that you enjoy? Why are, are you so happy that you've got to the point where you can do that? It's having the time to do it more properly and it's keeping me engaged with people. And even in lockdown, you know, I was still able to carry it out, which is great because with technology, I can still interview people. The work, I, the methodology I'm using, I'm still able to keep an eye on what's going on on my app. Um, so that's great. And I don't have to mark. That's the other thing. <laughs> Apart from I still have some PhDs, so I do have to read their work. But in between that, you know, I can go out for a walk and I can, as we were talking about singing earlier, so I can actually get involved with singing during the day and do all sorts of things, which I think actually brings more to the research. And when I was finishing my doctorate is when I first joined a choir because yeah. having time to, when you're singing, you're you're allowing your subconscious to process what's going on in your head yeah I'd often be driving back from rehearsal thinking oh that's what's going on when I've yeah. been thinking about why is why am I seeing this it's so interesting because I we always have this debate around like hours at work versus just just targeting people on outcomes 
Mm. The, the example I always use is the shower, which I suppose is related to yeah. singing some people, which is you can tell your body, you can get someone's body to work nine to five, but you can't get their brain to work nine to five because the, the idea that may revolutionise or save the entire British telecom business might be something that, that one of their current employees might think of in the shower on a Sunday when they're not contracted, but yeah. but, but they're not going to not bring that to work, are they? No, and actually funny you should say that because um, when I had my Vivo for my doctorate, my... Vivo? What's a, what's a Vivo, Anne? Sorry. It's the Vivo Voci, which is the oral exam. Great. So at the end of doing that, you don't you don't sit and write. Well, you've done that because you've written your thesis, but that's examined by two examiners live. Right. And my supervisors were there, and one of them said to me, "You've not, you know, you're not to do anything silly like tell them sorts of stories." And my um, other supervisor reported that when I I was asked something, and I said, "Well, of course, when I was in the shower, I just suddenly had this thought, you know, and that's what led to this." And one of them nudged the other. I said, and he said, I thought you told her not to do that. <laughs> you know, exactly that. You know, the flash of the blinding obvious that comes yeah. in the show. Yeah. Um, and what, um, so our um, viewers can, can get to know you. What what makes you happy, Anne? Uh, well, I've just started talking about it, haven't mm. I? It's, um, interacting with people, seeing them develop. It's doing something that's meaningful, you know, and I think that's the crux of it, and it's the crux of engagement as well. So something that's meaningful to other people, it's meaningful, or something that's meaningful to me, or so it's interacting usually with something. So music does that for me personally, but um, but doing doing when I was teaching um, mostly MBAs, you know, I realised that my my purpose, if you like, my mission in life was to make work a better place. And to make it happy because I don't see why people can't be happy whatever they do yeah you always know happy workers actually um, produce better stuff because they're not worrying about other things they're actually yeah. they're enjoying what they're doing and they tend to do it better I mean there's there's lots of discussion and research of course on that but uh, yeah yeah it seems to it's always worked for me anyway yeah and, and that's exactly why I wrote freedom to be happy and because Although me and you agree on that point, there's still a lot of people that don't that that don't believe it, believe it. Um, I've done presentations before where people I come off stage and people say, "Yeah, it's all great, Matt, but you know, happy workers they don't work very hard," and and stuff like that. So it's that's exactly why I'm meeting with people like you on this podcast to, to discuss some of this stuff. Um, so, and question number one for you relates to a, um, a conversation that um, that we had on Monday, which is, I didn't realise this, but one of the, the key points on the book is that we're, we're talking about reconnecting the heart and the brain, and yeah. that emotions have almost been locked out of business, and they've seen as unprofessional um, in, in many ways, and people, I've been called too emotional in my career, and all this kind of stuff. So, um, you told me about the original... Um, about the definition from Khan in 1990, and then and, and then uh, you mentioned Utrecht, um, one of the schools there. Could you just take our audience through that story? Yeah, so it's going back to engagement and the traditional views of engagement. And engagement itself was first really sort of, what's the word I want? I thought discovered, but first articulated as an idea in 1990 by a guy called William Khan. And I think it was probably his doctoral research, I don't know. 
Um, but he was the first one to actually discuss it. And that was, well, 30 years ago now. So it's been around for a while. And what he was talking about was the, um, the way you sort of feel about having meaningful work. So that you're engaged cognitively. You're doing something you have got the skills to do. But, you, you know, so you've got the knowledge part. Then you've actually start. He talks about the emotional engagement, and emotional engagement is actually about really enjoying it, finding it meaningful, all those sorts of things. It's the psychological side of it. And then he talked about the physical, and the physical is what you actually do. So that that also was involved in engagement. So that was his view. And then nothing much happened. Gallup picked it up, and so we had the Q12, all that sort of stuff. And then later on, and it would have been probably nearly 10 years later, um, the, there was a, people like Shafeli, um, Demeriti, Bakker, lots of interesting people, mostly around, um, mostly in Dutch universities. So mostly around Utrecht. And they, they just um, developed the Utrecht Work Engagement um, Survey. And so what they were doing was looking at it very much Whereas Karl was looking at it from an individual and personal perspective and the individual engaging, they looked at it from a work perspective. And what we tend to use often, because they had developed this scale, Salanova, um, no, it wasn't, but Shafeli and the others had developed a scale, the, work, the Utrecht Work Engagement Scale, which was easy to, so you've got something you could measure. So rather than, Khan's work was very qualitative so he was looking at the quality and people and listening to what they were saying whereas the Dutch were measuring it so that that was where a lot of the difference comes but they were measuring um, dedication absorption and you know of course I've forgotten the third one but it wasn't emotional yeah. so theirs is very much about the task itself whereas yeah. Khan's at the individual so very different and of course businesses being business you want something you can measure yeah is what gets measured gets done yeah um, and so that's the way engagement has sort of gone and Khan's kind of got lost in there so if you yeah. look at articles on engagement most of them go back to the very task oriented and it's called work engagement yeah and they are different um, and, and, and for our listeners in, in the modern day, and what we've done is we've, we've built a new model called happiness and engagement. Um, mm. And it's what it does is attempts to balance the needs of the company and the needs of the individual. So, Anne, in emotions and identity, um, research on emotions in organizations, volume 13, right. uh, can you tell us about the role of relationships and friendships within the workplace and engagement uh, specifically? Okay. So, um, as one does as an academic, you sort of, I've done a lot of, we've done a lot of research with my colleague, Richard, and we were thinking, where do we take engagement next? Because everyone was sort of jumping in on that. And actually, we were just, we were just having a discussion. We said, do you know, one of the things that's always interested us is about the role of friendship at work, because nobody ever talks about friends at work. Mm. It was often seen as, you shouldn't have many organizations it's frowned on having friends yeah but you know because we were because i was at henley 
it's quite a small organization at the time when it was the management college before it became part of the university and it did rely on very good relationships between people because there weren't many of us and so if you needed people to step in if somebody was sick and there's a workshop here or you know to help you out with things so yeah that was really important to us uh, so we, we thought well that's a really interesting way to look at it and going back to the origins of the engagement engagement surveys that people use like the Gallup one and um, what Gallup said was the the question they have in their Q12 I have a best friend at work yeah something that most people sort of say oh well that can't be worth um, looking at that's a ridiculous sort of question you know who wants to answer a survey with I've got a best friend at work but they said one of the things that they discovered in their, in their research is that those companies who had good scores on that performed, outperformed many of the others. Yeah. But they had, they had never done any work into why. So, of course, that means that that makes a start, you know, you think, ah, oh, that's interesting. I'll have a good yeah. So we pursued that a bit further and did a lot of research and I'm also part of um, an emotions network in organisations, which is where the, the book you just cited is a research volume from their conferences. So I'd been learning a lot about emotions themselves. And there's an awful lot of and discussion about what emotion is. And one of them is about emotions are your interactions with other people. Yeah. So... You know, you can't have an emotion unless there's something else involved. You you don't have them by yourself. There is something that triggers it. Yeah. So starting to take that apart got us into looking at the emotions part of engagement and relationships. So that and so that's friendship. So that's where we that's what kicked us off into looking at it. That it's obviously important. And yeah, the more I read, the more it was fascinating. And that, that was the chapter you referred to that we yeah. have in the book, isn't it? You know, yeah. Putting relationships in the foreground. And one of the things that Khan says, and what's fascinating to us is Khan's research has actually gone in the same route. So he talks about the relational context that people work in. Yeah. He talks about things like the emotional undercurrents and sort of under the surface of organizations and all the inter transactional relationships we have, there are whole, runs a whole lot of um, emotional energy. Yeah. So we think, we think of organizations, think of people doing things and having relationships in organizations as transactional and all about doing the right thing for their job and their organization. Yeah. But they'd never actually think about um, the role of relationships within that because if you have a bad relationship with somebody that's not going to help you know if your if your boss is always mean to you down how are you going to feel good about your job and doing the right thing yeah so it can go from absolutely loving the organization and doing going the extra mile for it doing more than that but if you don't have that and what where we Richard and I had started was on disengagement you actually disengage people and that can go from people being disengaged merely because they're exhausted and they need to um sort of stop and refresh 
and it can be just that, but it can go into uh, real mental problems, physical health problems, and it can go right down to setting up alienation and sabotage. Yeah. So you've got that whole continuum from just merely not being engaged to being really disengaged to actually really wanting to get your own back on the organization. Yeah. I mean, there was a, there was a, there was a story in the press only of last month. I think it was in Italy of someone who was spiking someone else's drink at work. They were a rival for promotion and they were basically putting a sedative really? um, in their coffee. Why they were to buy them coffee and then they were just that. So, and also just to add some data to this, and I've just got um, Freedom to be Happy here and we've got um, our exit data. Right. Why people leave organizations. Yeah. So for context, our um, our database is just short of half a million employees. Um, and the bottom three, so the, the, the reasons where people score really lowly, uh, low at the point of leaving, the bottom three in, I'm trying to, whether it's reverse order or right order, but <laughs> um, I will do the worst one last, which is leadership at 4.88, team at 3.8, and conflict at 2.3. Yeah. So um, it really that the data is really the latest data in the happiness index really backing up what you're saying there. Yeah, and I mean I, that's exactly what I was finding when people are talking about feeling very negative negative emotions at work. You know, it will be about conflict with somebody, or it might be about disappointment about something. So that kind of fits. Yeah, and I had another thought that went through my gone through my head just through. It will come back. It will come back. <laughs> I've got another question that's popped in my head that's not on our pre-planned questions. Okay. But it's interesting you said that point around how some businesses don't think relationships are important or friendships. And and, and I had this, when I, when I was doing the research and I told people about some of the stuff that we were doing at the Happiness Index and, and for the book, someone said, um, who works at my children, um, I shouldn't say where it is actually because I don't want to give away the organization, but yeah. it said, Effectively, them and them and their colleague had been called into a meeting to say that they needed to be stopped being such good friends. Really, um, and, and because I was talking about reconnecting the heart and the brain and stuff, it really resonated with them. And but my question for you is: is why do you think that that there's still this like entrenched view that that you shouldn't have friends at work and emotions shouldn't come into work? Where do you think that comes from? I think some of it, and I think actually one of the definitions I've looked at in friendship is trying to draw the line between when it's a what type of friend it is you know when it mm -hmm. so relationships at work can often be seen as more intimate relationships yeah. so somebody uh, I can't remember off the top of my head you'll find it in the chapter um said that uh, it's when a relationship becomes exclusive and it excludes other people, then it yeah. becomes healthy. So you can see in the past the fa the idea of favoritism, that yeah. you're favoring your friends. Yeah, a closed club. Yeah, and so it, it's the cliques, it's the so it's making something exclusive. Mm, that's that that that's that's actually really useful, Anne. Um, yeah. We can only we can see that, can't we, when we think about what's actually going on at this very minute. Um, you know, sort of packing your organisation with friends and relations. Yeah, I, I put a tweet out on that on the other day, which really offended people. Which is, 
I said, you know, it's actually acceptable to be friends with people that have different political views than you. Mm. Because it's almost become like you can't. <laughs> it's just like everyone's moving into their cliques. It's, it's okay to be friends with someone that doesn't vote for the same party as you. doesn't mean they're the devil. They just got a different perspective, different, maybe different data and a different view on life. And there was a very good programme um, on a couple of weeks ago on Wednesday morning on radio, which actually had mediators getting, I think it was a Brexiteer, of course, and a Remainer together, and actually getting them to really understand each other's point of view and have conversations, which yeah. really demonstrated it, you know, and there were, um, so that's been quite interesting. It's the premise of mediation, yeah. of getting, being able to get people to sit down and listen to each other's point of view, and then actually saying, well, actually, the only bit we disagree about is this bit. Yeah. All yeah. The rest. It's wonderful what can happen when you talk to each other rather than tweeting each other. Yeah. <laughs> yep, absolutely. Um, and just you mentioned right at the beginning the um, the word that if people um, didn't necessarily like their science at, at school uh, may have shuddered when you were you mentioned the word methodology. Um, <laughs> I like the word methodology. Um, can you just talk us a little bit about your methodology on on that research? Because I think it really it helps bring it to life for us. Yeah. So the current the current research I'm doing at in, on friendships actually in organisations. I'm doing it qualitatively because the, the word qualitative is just that it's about the quality of the data and um, being able to, un it's about understanding what's going on in people, it's what it's like to be me in this organization at this point of time, mm. as opposed to quantitatively when we measure. Yeah. So organizations like hard data, yeah. numbers that you can crunch. And I like soft data, which is words that you yeah. can, look at and just get inside what people are thinking. And, you know, when you've interviewed somebody, you can hear and you can see what they're feeling. Yeah. So you can get the the nuances and the importance of something. Yeah. So whereas somebody said, oh, but that's only one, that's only one quote on that, but it might be the thing that triggers the most important aspect. And yeah. they've been able to put it into words that other people haven't been able to. I love that because um, we, um, when COVID hit, we made one of our products free. It's called Employee Voice, um, right. and it freaks some people out that that have a hundred question engagement surveys because it's just one question, and it just asks people how they feel. Um, but it has a free form box um, that we use our AI because sometimes you might get a hundred thousand people saying how you feel, um, yeah. and it and it it crunches through the data to put it into um, into stories for you. But but on your point. I love being able to pull out verbatim comments because sometimes just one person can encapsulate how a whole company feels in yeah. just one sentence. And then when you're trying to present it to the board, it's so powerful, isn't it? Yeah, it is. That's the power of it. And also what I've been doing very similarly, I've been working with a couple of consultants from our local hospital who have developed um, an app for which they call the happy app. And we just happened, it's one of those situations, you're having a conversation about something completely different and the uh, phone goes and what, one of them sort of said to me, oh, don't worry, that's that's a colleague. Well, he said, actually a friend. And I said, well, that's exactly what I'm researching. We got into this amazing conversation yeah. and they'd actually developed the Happy App. And for that, it's very simple. They use it throughout the hospital and they've used it. They're also using it in the medical school. And it's just asking people how they're feeling. They hit, yeah. you know, are they feeling positive, sad, 
or yeah. neutral, and they have a box to put Y. I love it. The power of it for them is that they can actually map it to what's going on in the hospital. Yeah. So they can see, um, because they know people will say which team they're in. So they will know that actually this is somebody who's working down in that part of the hospital. Oh, we've got a we've got a real problem down there. We've got you know bed blocking there. Yeah. What's going on in ICU? We can't get you know we can't discharge people from the theatre to there. And they'll be able to see well actually there's a there's a whole lot of red going on in that place. And I look at the comments. Yeah. Oh, that bit of kit's broken down or whatever. Yeah. So actually, oh, yeah. so the manager can see that and go. Right, better get that fixed. Yeah. So that's really worked well for them. So they've, they, they've been great because they've adapted it for me so that I've been able to measure um, the engagement part of it by looking at Khan. The other thing about Khan is he talks about um, the three conditions you need for engagement, which are meaningfulness, so psychological safety. Yeah. And availability, i.e. having the resources, which can be psychological and personal resources, as well as physical ones. And so they've adapted, we've adapted that to be the themes around the comments people make. Brilliant. I have got some quantitative data and it's shown me, you know, I've been able, but it's shown me how I can manage the comments people have made. So I yep. can see the comments and I, I could count them if I wanted to. But um, actually, it's the comments themselves which are much more important. Yeah, I love that. Um, we call at the Happiness Index we call that emotional intelligence on scale. Um, that that once you get into an environment like a hospital or something where there's multiple relationships, it allows you to be able to do that quickly. It's still never as good as the one to one, and should never replace it. But it allows you to to, to start to do that. Um, and I've got. Um, I'll just add to that though. What they've yeah. done with their app is it's it's push not pull so yeah. that so people are just putting that in at the time so i'm using it for instance in our the school i'm a governor at so at the end of the day or something happens during the day a teacher can sort of say i'm feeling really cross because you know yeah. or isn't it wonderful being back the kids have just been telling me this yeah so love it's, that. Not, it's not going out once a year or once a month or a so post. important so important it's really in real time yeah, I love that. Um, and I've got my favourite question, um, which okay. I love asking people, um, which is, um, what's the most surprising thing that you've found in your research? Well, I have to say, the most surprising things, it was the same with, mo I think with most research, when you actually think about it, you go, gosh, that's a blindingly obvious. <laughs> yeah. And... You know, I think one of the most surprising things was actually how often people would say, I mean, it's about the little things. Mm. It really is about the little things. And that uh, people would just report. I've had a great um, relationship, you know, interaction with one of my colleagues this morning. And it was about, they bought me a coffee. And we just had this conversation. And then we really got on with work. And it was yeah. a fact that relationships precede work so people do the relational work before they actually get into the physical work so that you know that was really interesting and it was it was um, and also the other thing was about um how emo how emotionally 
engaged people get with each other. You know, so people were talk when they were talking about their close colleagues, they're, they're what we would call friends as opposed to co-workers or straight colleagues, people they actually in the team with, co-workers yeah. they have to work with, uh, they get information from and things. But how many of them have really deep, deep relationships? You know, as somebody said to me very proudly, I was invited to the wedding itself as well as the reception, you know, <laughs> you know very much um, about that. Some people did some really close emotional stuff with, you know, like um, somebody was telling me about going for a walk to with somebody who'd been asked, invited to scatter their, their father's ashes in the right place. Yeah. Wow. And people were just talking about the privilege they felt that yeah. this person had asked them to come with them to do it. So there's, yeah. it was those sorts of things. Um, yeah, and I think trust and respect really come through yeah. closely. I think, um, I don't want to make anyone sad, but it, just to, to, a reminder to not make anyone forever granted, which is um, my best friend at work um, died this year. Mm, yes. Um, so it's just a reminder that, um, so that's Natalie White, uh, Natalie Edwards. It's just a reminder for every, everyone, if you do have, if you are lucky to have someone that you have such a close relationship at work, as you describe it, never take it for granted because she's the, same age, she's the same age as me. She was a young mother. Um, so you should never forget that, that if you're in that position, give them a little text. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm still, you appreciate them. I do. I text, you know, I do text um, a couple of friends just to check, just to check in, you know, how's everything going and having, and it's all just that. And I think a lot of it, the importance of relationships is about getting feedback um, from other people that about your own self-validation as well. Yeah. Isn't it? That um, so, and you, you think well, that's great that they're telling me this, but actually they really value you as well. Yeah. So, no. And that, you know, really leads to good, close work. And in the current situation, people have really had to rely on each other. Totally. You know, and I think back to um, the people I talked to who were, who were working remotely last year. I mean, I did most of my research at the end of last year and the beginning of this, the recent stuff. And the difference, people were saying, oh, it's quite tough working remotely. Yeah. But... I had, you know, I start the day with a conversation with a colleague who told me about something. We have a giggle about something ridiculous that happened to us. And then I feel so much better. And then we get on with, you know, so yeah. the importance I think now is particularly that. I absolutely. I think, did you see um, Simon Sinek at the beginning of everyone's favorite uh, philosopher, Simon Sinek, did a good, um, did a good video at the beginning of lockdown reminding people that when you have video calls like um, everyone's listening to us the audio but Anne and I are on video how important it is to catch up personally before you get into the into the yeah. work stuff because you would do that you people kind of naturally do that when they're grabbing a coffee at work but you can forget to do it over video yeah. to actually ask how, how, how someone is and I just thought that, that was a great reminder from Simon for us to do that in this lockdown virtual world yeah, and one of my one of the organisations I was doing my research in, they always have an emotional check-in. Yeah. So it is, you know, how is everyone before every team meeting? Yeah. And, and and just doing that, you know, gets out anything too. If people are really frustrated, so it's not getting in the way of whatever you're doing, and you start off in a positive mood and ready to and ready to do 
important work. Yeah. Right, it's a huge difference. And last but one question. Um, I could never pronounce penultimate, so I think I, maybe I just got it right there for the first time. But last yeah, one, yeah. is that um, what's fresh in the world of um, emotional research and um, employee engagement? What, what's the, the stuff that's that you've seen recently or done that you're like, oh, that's really fresh. That's that's that, that you think listeners should go and have a look at. Well, I mean, I actually do think that what I hate to say it, but we seem to be there. I mean, I. The more I've been looking at research, I've just been in the Emotions in Organisations conference in the summer, um, where we were obviously in the ether. But it is becoming relationships and actually understanding that is becoming more and more important. And I, because because of the fact everyone's stuck at home and thinking about mental health issues. Yeah. So it and for me it's it's around well-being, it's around mental health, it and that's the other reason for people keeping in touch. I mean, I was really struck by people who were saying who were having some sort of mental health problem, actually discovering somebody else in the same boat and how that difference that had made because they've been able to make that connection. Yeah. It's it's, so, it's wonderful. We've seen um we have a happiness in humans community. Um, which I mentioned to you last time, and you passed you passed the the only rule that we have, which is you want to make work a more positive future. Um, <laughs> yeah. And and we've just seen that group just grow because I feel like what well, I, I feel like it's good content, and I hope it is. But I think really the reason it's growing is people are seeking um, a community where they can discuss and explore these ideas, where they might have been able to do that in their organisations because they're not there anymore. They're virtually, they can come in and they can meet people from different areas of HR, leadership, research, um, and just have conversations. And then you get the cross-functional sort of discussion too. So somebody who's manager will see. We do the same. I mean, I did my research. I was sponsored by the Henley Forum. And yeah. we, have, we have a monthly catch-up, which we had on Monday, which was, um, and it is exactly that. It's self-employed it's big organizations it's government departments it's all sorts of people coming together and yeah. exactly you know and you've got something in common which is this topic area yeah. and this is so that really works so and last question if you if you were to meet someone in the community and they were they were trying to use start to bring together this research to build a a business case for happiness what's the what's the one little area or bit of research or bit of advice that you would point them in the, the direction to to, um, to to include in their case? Um, well, I think we've said it earlier, haven't we, in that that happiness, good people being feeling happy and feeling they're doing something meaningful at work will actually does result. I mean, go back to the Gallup stuff. They found that performance actually goes up when people are happy and engaged in what they're doing. And you get much better as a from the other end as a customer, you get much better service from somebody who's doing something they really believe in. And you know, that can only be result in good it's a good makes good business sense. Yeah. So if I've gone and had a good experience because that person is really passionate about what they do. Yeah. And the way you build that is they're working with other people who are passionate because emotions are contagious. Yeah. It just builds that. And, you know, so 
I think it's being aware of mood and emotions and building a culture that's friendly. People will stay with friend with friendly cultures, and if they fit, and I, I believe fully that we we spend most of our careers finding a company where our culture with where our values fit with them. Yeah. Rather than not many people just work for money alone. That's around. In fact, no, I think it's only people who are motivated purely by money do that. Everyone else is for somewhere they feel they fit. Yeah. Um, and I think that's just the perfect place to, to, to finish it. I've absolutely loved listening to you today and I've learned so much. Well, um, I just enjoyed having the conversation. It's been brilliant. And um, I've got this weird thing now. Everyone I keep speaking to um, that's involved in emotional happiness or employee data seems to, to seems to be out there singing at the moment we had brandon yesterday nicola piercy yourself so i'm trying to I, I think i need to do some study into some kind of correlation correlation causation study into the link between people that do research in this area and the fact they like singing there must be something yeah. there. <laughs> i will i will ask people on our facebook group in fact they've got somebody from one of the scots university scottish universities who's doing some research into lockdown singing Wow. Um, and this has been absolutely wonderful. Thank you so much for taking the time out to share with us your research and, 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 and your knowledge. We, we really appreciate it. And thank you on behalf of myself and our listeners. And good luck, everyone. Don't forget to um, think about those little things. Thanks, Anne. Make a difference. <laughs> thank you.